you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Hello? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons-Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing uh, episode of Psychic on the Scene. And with you, as always, is your favorite redheaded mermaid psychic, Katie Manning Hilton. And with me, as always, our wonderful producer and dear friend, D. Scott. Hi. <laughs> and my other wonderful dear friend and psychic medium, Michelle Lyons-Polito. Hey, everyone. And we have back a fan favorite. She sure Juliana. is. I know, Juliana Haliti uh, from Haunted 518. And uh, another podcast, if you guys are, are seeking or thirsty for podcasts, I have never had so many people say, listen to all your podcasts, like when you're going on again. And then they're like, oh, now I'm listening to Juliana's now. Yes. I'm, so it's so funny. Awesome. Um, I know it is. It's really, really nice from our, our fans. So I wanted to do, because it's summertime, whether you're in Florida or you're New York or wherever you are, it's <laughs> summertime and people are getting together and having sleepovers and campfires. And I wanted to share some good old fashioned, perhaps urban legend mm -hmm. stories um, that probably originated from some truth uh, right. so that you can tell around the campfire to spook the kids out or spook each other out. All right. Yes. I think um, I'm going to start with you, Juliana, if okay. you would tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm smelling the smoke of the fire and I hear yeah. the crackling flames. <laughs> more. Um, and some more. I, I figured I'd start with one that just always fascinated me and was a little bit. Uh, scary to even think about talking about. So I invite you to sit back and enjoy the legend of the skinwalker and the and the camping, a little bit of a story, the camping story that goes along with it. So to set the stage, just a little bit of background. Um, I've always been interested in Native American legends. And so basically picture the 1800s when settlers, white settlers were pushing west and they had this ultimate goal of removing Native Americans from this land that they desired. And um, they wanted to put them into specific areas, controlled areas. And um, in 1848, the Mexican-American War ended, which gave the U.S. a lot of land in the Southwest. So we're talking like Utah, Arizona, I think the Four Corners, mm -hmm. Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Colorado. Um, and the Navajo tribe was like the big tribe in that area. And they occupied vast amounts of land out there. And there was fighting among those tribes. And some of the tribes like the Ute tribe decided to side with the US government and the settlers that were pushing, pushing westward. And basically, it was conjuring up a lot of like, terrible things and a lot of dark energy was coming mm. about during that time and the Navajo were just they did not want to leave their ancestral land and um the 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 settlers the European settlers and the government they were moving westward and they were using something called the scorched earth method which is like mm -hmm. 
you just deprive people of everything, food and water to get them out of an area you want. And so I can imagine how much heartache and suffering scary Mm -hmm. energy was happening in that area and um and then we we jumped to 1864 the navajo surrendered and um and really left this area they went down to new mexico so setting the stage in that way so then we're thinking about well how does that tie to this thing called the skinwalker well what is a skinwalker and according to Navajo legend, skinwalkers are shape-shifting former healers or medicine men or witch doctors, mm-hmm. sometimes they're called, that they have the ability to transform themselves um, into deformed animals. A lot of the time people say they turn into wolves or bears, um, or they look like humans wearing the skin of these animals. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of has this humanoid animal ambiguous quality to it and um really in the navajo culture witch doctors they're just ingrained in society and they they work within the light and they help heal people individually also among the tribe they perform ceremonies healings blessings but the legend says that some lost their way and they turned to darkness and According to the legend, some use their power secretly to do like really dark things. And the scary part that I think is that to apparently to gain these powers, you have to perform a ceremony in which you take someone's life. And it has to be someone close to a loved one, a sibling, Mm. a family member, a best friend kind of thing. So um, the Navajo believed that these skinwalkers were basically fallen witch doctors and they become like these dark witches. So um, in 1878, the Navajo tribe actually purged 70 of their own because they were convinced they were dark, mm. dark, dark witches now and, and these skinwalkers. And How do they purge them? They, um, it just, I, I was reading that they, uh, killed them, but I don't know how they did it, but about 70 total, isn't that, and that unto itself, I feel like stirs up some pretty dark. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. And, and so the, the legend, the few, there's a few rules that go along with this legend. And one is, and I'm kind of scared to say this, but it's taboo to speak of skinwalkers that mm-hmm. Navajos believes if you speak about it, it's almost drawing it towards us. So sorry <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the case. Um, and then the second one is um, the rule is to speak its name and it's pronounced Narloshi. And that actually translates to with it, he goes on all fours. You can picture like a like an animal humanoid crawling all on all (laughs) it's really (laughs) creepy (laughs) and and then another rule is that of the legend says um it's it's the harmful witch who has the ability to turn into possess or disguise themselves as an animal so that you think of um basically them manifesting themselves as something familiar to you to get on your good side but they're really not Mm. and um the term the term skinwalker is never used for someone who does any sort of healing it's someone who's only practicing evil and they say you can't look in their eyes because that's almost 
uh, guaranteed that you will you will come to harm. So avoid looking to their eyes and the and uh, possession is usually what would happen after that if you do make eye contact with them. Lovely. <laughs> and then also the other part of it, the legend says that if if they're harmed in one form in their animal form or human form, it carries over. So if mm. they're harmed as a wolf, you'll see that on the same part of the when they transform and shape shift into the humanoid. Mm. Um, but there's there was a family that lived in uh, Utah that supposedly went through this crazy ordeal where they had a farm and their cattle started to get mutilated and they were just disappearing off of the farm and during that time there was like a ton of ufo sightings and the appearance of crop circles also and the most distressing encounter occurred one night um after 18 months after moving on to this ranch where the father he was walking his dogs around the ranch late at night when he encountered a wolf but it was about a three times the size as a regular wolf. Oh so um, he said it also had, he claimed a glowing red eyes and it basically stood unfazed by being shot at. And so uh, the family really was petrified of that area. And that's come to known as the famous Skinwalker Ranch. So there's mm. a lot of really spooky things happen out there. TV and even show, after man. they moved out, like new owners and yeah there's a show about it so even now there's a lot of paranormal research that um happens to go out there and I found this one story that really spooked me out it was just a gentleman who had been camping out there and he basically said that during his whole camping trip he always said there was a coyote that always seemed close by in his in his peripheral vision, but mm -hmm. never overtly in his direct line of vision, but he could feel it and see it basically on the edge of the woods, always, always within eyesight. And so this guy, Patrick, he loaded up his truck and he started to drive down um, the wash and out onto what's known as fire road in that area. And at the end of this wash, he, he saw it, he saw the coyote and it started following him. And when he pulled out onto the road, it started running next to him and it was keeping up speed with the vehicle. Oh. And so now he starts to get like really freaked out. Oh so he sped up even more and he, he claims he was going about 35, 40 miles an hour. And it was running alongside beside him, no problem keeping up. And then and then the really spooky part is he started glancing back at it and it was a coyote the first time he glanced back uh, running on all four legs. Then he glanced back again and the coyote is now running only on two legs. So it's oh. still a wolf, still a coyote, but it's now running as if a human's running. No, then no, he no. glances back and it looks like from the legs down it's become human legs but from the waist up it's wolf and oh. then he said in an instant later it was a person wearing a coyote skin just draped over them um and it was keeping pace no matter what form it had it kept pace with his truck the whole time and then the final time he looked back it was gone <laughs> so, oh my gosh i don't think it ever sleep again <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> so i thought that was after kind of setting the stage just that experience of being alone camping in the desert and then 
something that's keeping pace with your car. No, thank you. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Great stories, Juliana. Thank you. So again, for our listeners, just to kind of set the stage, turn off the lights, light a candle, (laughs) sit around the fire and listen to the sounds around you and cuddling close with everybody to hear our next story. And I'm going to hand it over to Michelle. Okay. I'm going to tell you one of my favorite urban legends that I think this there's a legend like this in every town, but I, of course, believe that all legends, as you said, are rooted in some kind of uh, an actual event. It's called the prom date. And uh, there's a couple of cemeteries around here that are supposedly the source of this energy. And then there's a couple of variations. But what I've heard, um, and I heard from a friend of mine whose uncle experienced, he swears, on his parents' grave that he, this is what happened to him. And this is out in the Rensselaer County area. And he was driving one night and it was raining. It was in the month of May. And he notices alongside the road, a young girl in a prom dress and she's crying. And he said she was so vivid. She was almost like she was illuminated from within because he could even see the mascara running down her face. And he being a father and a gentleman pulls over and says, can I help you? She goes, I've got to get home. I've got to get home. Please drive me home. I I was going to the prom. I don't know what happened. I just, I need my mom. So he, you know, unlocks the door. She gets in and she sits there and she cries and tells, tells him that I don't know where my date is. I don't know how I ended up in the rain. So he's driving her, gives the address. And he goes, I know right where that is. They're driving and talking. And as he gets closer to this one spot, he realizes that she doesn't quite seem as bright. And then all of a sudden he looks over at her and she goes, no. And as she says, no, she fades away. And the last thing he sees is her open mouth forming the word no in her eyes that are terrified. And he looks over there in front of a cemetery. Oh, wow. So he has this house address in his mind. So he keeps, he continues on and, you know, it, it's, it's dark out. So do I knock on this door? So he goes by a couple times, decides he's not going to knock on the door. He goes to sleep, dreams about her all night long. Him being a dad, he's distraught, horrible night sleep. He wakes up. The next day is Saturday. He drives over to this house and paces back and forth and finally knocks on the door. And he goes, this older woman answers the door. He goes, look, this is my name. I live, this is where I live. I'm sorry to bother you, but I have to share this experience with you. She looks at him with a knowing smile on her face and invites him in, sits down on her couch. Her tiny little dog gets up on his lap and he starts to stutter and explain the experience he had. And she just walks over, puts her hand on his shoulder and holds a picture of her daughter who had died like 40 to 50 years prior to that in her in the prom dress that was taken before she left the house, she had actually died in a car accident on the way to the prom with her boyfriend. And the cemetery is where she's buried. Wow. I've heard that story again and again in, in variations, but I've also heard of her being picked up at the cemetery. Mm. same cemetery and being driven home but as they pull into the driveway she's not there anymore what really stands out to me with his story is that she started to fade and that he heard the word no and how that echoed in his head and that's what kept him up 
woke him up repeatedly that night. But the woman obviously had had this experience many a time. So, mm. yes, I did clear her. <laughs> so that is one of my favorite, favorite ghost stories. But can I tell another one real quick? Yeah, Mark? yeah, go ahead. This one is local. Um, it's about halfway between where Dennis and I live. So just to scare him when he's driving down Sand Creek Road, <clears throat> there is a, a place, um, I can just call it, it's Shaker Run. It's like an apartment complex now along Sand Creek Road approaching um, Waterbury Shaker. And as you know, because there's Shaker Road, there, there was a Shaker settlement there. It was the original Shaker settlement uh, um, founded by Anne Lee way back, I think it was the 1700s. And she was um, a Shaker, which was kind of a, a form of the Quaker religion. They were a celibate group. You joined the, the Shakers, you didn't have children. They divided men and women. They invented the seed packet. They invented uh, reclinable chairs. They invented the flat broom. Really interesting group. And um, on there's a, a place called South Family Road. And at the time when I was a kid, that was a big party spot in Colony. A lot of kids would get together and we'd hang out there. And I wasn't much of a partier, but I, I went to the barn a couple times, the South Family Barn, <clears throat> and I never experienced her. But everyone said, if you get drunk enough, you'll see Lucy. Oh. So out of the barn, out of the side of the barn would come this young girl, they'd say about 14, 15 year old, dressed like a shaker, and she'd sit and have a few drinks with them, okay? And then she would start to fade, but then instead of just disappearing, she would suddenly uh, decompose in front of their eyes. Ooh. So as she finally disappeared, she was just a skeleton. Oh. And then go away in a puff of smoke. Oh. So me being, you know, I was terrified of going on South Family Road at night. And Dennis Ooh. will never go by that way. <laughs> Night ever again, I don't think. But, you know, they tore the barn down, which always made me really sad because I, I just hate when beautiful old places are torn down. South Family Road is still there. Um, some of the housing is still there. They're actually apartments. And I've been there quite a few times where people say, I, I have really weird paranormal stuff going on. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> so I've done a lot of clearing work, but a few readings. Now, fast forward to when Oh, gosh, probably like 20 years into the future. My brother was on the planning board in the town of Colony, and he lived over by Memories Garden at the time. And so he would have to drive down Sand Creek Road, and it was the winter time, no snow on the road, but he was driving along, <clears throat> heading towards uh, Waterville Shaker Road. And all of a sudden, he sees a woman running across the road. And He's like, oh, I better slow down. So he, he puts his, takes his foot off the gas, puts it on the brake, slows down. All of a sudden, she goes from being 50 yards in front of him to like five inches in front of him. And he slams on his brake, jumps out of the car, says, oh, my God, I've killed a woman. And he looks, there's nothing there. But he also notices that <clears throat> there's not a single sound around him. Ooh. The wind had stopped. He couldn't hear. I mean, in that area, you're going to hear cars. You're going to hear dogs barking nothing yeah. and then he got that prickly chill feeling and felt like something went through him so he got back in his car he just sat there for a few minutes then he realized wait a second that lady was see-through and she was <laughs> running about five feet in the air oh wow 
when he first saw her. So there must have been a hill there. And then when he when she was directly in front of him, she realized like a sepia color photograph, kind of see through. She was dressed as a shaker. She had the bonnet on and she was running. And because you could see the bonnet strings flowing behind her, she had a basket in the crook of her elbow on her left arm and running. She was completely unaware of him. She didn't look at him, but he still doesn't know how she like, well, she's a, she was a ghost. So she morphed in front of him. But that night he had a dream. And in the dream, someone knocked on his door and he opened the door and she was standing there and she said, hi, I'm Lucy. Oh, <laughs> and he woke up. They live down in Glenmont now. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. D's got space. If everybody could see D, the whole time we're telling stories, he's like, what? Like he's getting closer and closer to the camera. Nope. It is not far from where either he or I live. That was just funny. Wow. That's on that's on Sand Creek Road, which is the road I live off of. So right. How exciting to drive through there every day. Every day. I have tried to clear her. I never got confirmation that I cleared her. I, that area is where they found uh, the body of, what's her name too? I can't think of Ruth her name. Whitman. Was it Ruth that they found? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was right over there. I actually know right where the that site is because I've noticed it and had feelings driving past it and gone, wow. whoa. That's fun. Well, I, I think when we talked to Phoebe Lowe the one time about mm-hmm. that story and yeah. um, when I listened to her podcast, I think it was just the teaser that she was doing for that series or that season. Yeah. Um, and she said Ruth Whitman's name and I was literally right by where the body was found. You're kidding and, me. And I got, it was, I mean, like you want to talk about everything aligning in the most perfect, horrible way. Mm-hmm. Um she said her name. I was literally right next to the site driving home and anxiety set in like I had never had right. before. And I think the next day, you, the three of us were doing a podcast and I talked yep. to you guys we and talked about it. And, uh, Cleared you know, it. I, that was one of the few times where that that's kind of what put me in touch with the feelings that I get when things are around. And, yeah. it, and, and it made me recognize, you know, the anxiety of, oh, there's other energy here that I can. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, the name resonated with me immediately. And I think by the time I got home, it had kind of like the anxiety had ceased. Yeah. But it yeah, that that area over there is it, oh, the whole South Family Road area is mm-hmm. just, and the and the yeah. Quaker the Quaker or the Shaker Quaker Shaker, settlement. Shaker, I think Shaker, I told Shaker. you guys this before. Every time I've ever been over there and I have to use a GPS, my GPS goes wacky, yeah. and it literally will lead me. And this is honest to God's truth, right into the middle of that community and where the old buildings are for the yeah. Shaker community. And to the point that I get lost, and I'm thinking, why is it taking me through here? Because you can't cut through. Nope. You can go in and kind of like turn around, and mm-hmm. there's. All law enforcement and it's almost as if law enforcement knows that people not so much are perusing it that they get lost in there because I clearly was like trying to find my way out and he just held up his hand like waved and that was it but it was it was creepy because it it's happened more than once to me to the point that the third time it started to happen I was like really trying to plan that I wouldn't get um, pulled in there or my GPS wouldn't do it and by god it did it to me again yeah, you can't, even if you try, you know, yeah. we've got a, maybe we should do a little, well, we can't because there's no electricity there. 
Yeah. Like when they built the A Stadium, do you remember when they built that A Stadium back in the area? Heritage Park. Heritage Park, that's yes. what it was. Yeah. And people were really upset about that. And I still remember, I think the Knickerbocker News was still around. Someone took a picture of the orchard that is still there, mm-hmm. right near the Shaker Cemetery. And it appeared that there was an angry ghost in the trunk of the tree. Oh. And if you look at that cemetery, all the stones are the same height, except for Anne Lee herself. Her stone is just a couple of inches taller. A little bit bigger. It looks really bad now. If you go over there, I mean, a Heritage Park is gone, but it's just it's kind of gone by the wayside. But they've done so much over there that it's it's actually really difficult to get into like where Anne Lee Pond is at this point. It they, is. They've changed the roads around, and because that used to be access right out to uh, over by Albany International, and they cut that all out. You used to be able to, you know, and and they changed the direction of Waterbury Shaker Road or Albany mm-hmm. Shaker, whatever road mm-hmm. that is. I think it's Waterbury. You think I would know by now? I'm only <laughs> I only drive it like I'm only on it every day to come to the radio station, but <laughs> right. uh, I, and I never get it right. I'm like it's Waterbury Shaker, Albany Shaker. I don't know which you one. You know, because it changes. It's it's Albany Shaker, then it's Waterbury, right. then it's Consol. It's like what right. the heck road am I on? So, so that road over there, yep. <laughs> which is where the settle, you can see this, like some of the old buildings are still there. A lot of yeah. the uh, Ann Lee, well, it was like the Ann Lee retirement home or old, whatever it was. Yeah, it became the was. Albany County, it was Ann Lee home and then yep. Albany County nursing home. And then if you, if you come to the end of Sand Creek Road and look in front of you, Afram's is there now, but just mm-hmm. off to the right, mm-hmm. there's a big brick house. That's, that's one of the old Shaker houses. I actually know, family. I know that's families family. that used to live in there that I believe were shakers that i went to school with but i mean it's not really hard to figure out why the shakers went bye-bye considering they weren't allowed to have kids exactly but, and the men and women had to live separately i said that's why they were so industrious yeah it was just that, which is which is why they just they just fit <laughs> off into the sunset because you can't have kids you can't keep the community going i just you can't they took uh, a, they took a lot of orphans in what, what i love about them yeah. is like when the kids turned i think it was 18 and they did they said be shakers or not be shakers and they also had something called the winter shakers <clears throat> and that people would become shakers for the winter because it was cold yeah. and then they'd leave again in the spring but every that, year they'd take them in and, and say, but i do know i know that area over there uh if you're in the capital region listening mm-hmm. to this over by where heritage park used to be which is now over by cba and Right. You know, all, all that grounds over there in, the, in south family road it, it's a hotbed for a lot of fun stuff that goes on if you take that app that we have on our phones um that that, yeah the, spirit the paranormal talker. app yeah the yes. spirit talker. and you go and hang out there you will get stuff because oh, yeah. <laughs> we were there one night um one evening um when pokemon go first came out this is you know probably four or five years ago because my son's like we need this and we were doing pokemon go but then we started to hear disembodied voices so <laughs> Oh. Okay, I think we're out of here. And I'm okay doing that by myself, but Didi was little at the time and he was getting freaked out. And he is an empath, so he'll immediately feel like I take this poor child to the battleground. He, he's like, I need my mother. I need my mother. I'm like, I'm here. He goes, no, he needs his mother. So poor kid, I drag him all over town <laughs> to experience this stuff. But Dennis, I just want to say something, how you were talking about when you were aware that they found Ruth's body, you felt the intensity of it. I think what had happened is they said her name you were in that spot it activated her energy you felt that energy so from that experience you your 
intuition was activated or you were able to identify it. And the reason why it went away is because we talked about how uh, ghosts are kind of like Wi-Fi and they have a modem. Mm -hmm. And that's what the story I told, because a ghost can only get so far from its point of generation, its modem. Gotcha. And that's why they fade and disappear. It's like you have bad reception maybe when you're out by the garage or something like that, because you're far away from the modem because they have to have a source it makes sense. I mean, I, as soon as like I got out of my car, went in my house and it, and it went away, but that other times that I've felt things, whether we were out doing stuff or was, I was by myself or with, with a, my daughter or with Tara or whomever, um, that's the normal, or actually just by myself at home. And if I go down in the basement and I get a nervous energy and I can, mm-hmm. that's kind of at the, t- you know, mo- more times than not, especially when I'm like doing laundry and stuff, I'm like, all right. Yeah. I, I recognize you just not now. Okay. And <laughs> so familiar. Familiar. I know how to do it and they go away and it goes away yeah. and I'm like, all right, good. And I just go about my business. But that's usually my, my first reaction is not now, not in the mood for this. <laughs> do you have any stories D? Um, I don't have any real ghost stories. There was a, when I was in high school, there was this, I guess, urban legend of colony. It was, uh, there was this old quote unquote mansion that was at the end of schoolhouse road, which is over in Gilderland. Oh yeah. Uh, so the house was set back off the road quite a bit. Um, and the, and the story always was with that. There was an altar in there. There is things written in blood on the walls this thing so in in our infinite wisdom as 16 year old kids we decided to go explore this um so there's a a church right up the road which is where we parked also stupid because there's always people at the church so they called the property owners um but what you know so we walk in there now we're expecting you know hell's gate to be in there (laughs) gram 666 the devil himself smoking a cigar drinking bourbon sitting on the couch i'm not sure what we were expecting um we walk in the quote-unquote altar was an old fake fireplace and it says all who enter will die written in red spray paint so let me tell you that's not really intimidating (laughs) and there was a pentagram in there but also it was done in spray paint as well so we kind of just put all of this to rest, but it's just funny how the story had morphed into this wicked haunted right. property. And then, you know, we walk out and we're like, oh my God. Yeah. There was a car at the end of the driveway because again, someone from the church called the property owner. So we had to hide in the weeds and then <laughs> run up the side through the, all the weeds and everything there and back to the car. And we got out of there. And then the other time, the only other thing we did as a kid was there was always a story out near Scotia that there was a ghost of a uh, of a bride who would walk the streets yeah. out, out in the Scotia area. Couldn't tell you yeah. exactly where. Uh, we went out looking for it. We stopped at a Stewart's. Um, and, and keep in mind, like this is before GPS. This was also, right. we had just started driving. I think we were, seven, <laughs> I think we were 17 years old. We're lucky we found Scotia. Um, but we, we stopped at a Stewart's and kind of brought it up to, uh, the people that were working as we were getting some snacks and what have you. And, uh, I said, oh yeah, you just go out. They gave us kind of directions to it. We came across nothing. The only thing we got was lost and then couldn't get back because, well, well we couldn't take the throughway because none of us had any money left to pay tolls. So we had to, 
we had to find our we had to find our way back. Uh, don't ask me how we ended up by Lebanon Valley Speedway from oh Georgia. Really? Not near each, not close to one another. Oh my gosh, no, like so yeah. far away. And then kind of made our way. I think we got home at like 2 33 o'clock in the morning. And oh my again, God. it was just another, you know, us trying to go find these, the, the, you know, these these urban legends, these ghost stories and your stand by me moment yeah, it was yeah. Like, that, that was kind of it like we all got together and my buddy came in and was like hey you guys want to see a dead body and i'm like well, here we go <laughs> i'm gonna go in off uh-huh. we went and came across nothing except for just you know just kind of funny how the you know you weave these tales and they end up becoming mm-hmm. what they were and then you see the real thing because i think a lot of times what ended up happening like with that house was people were too scared to go in it Mm. oh yeah we walked in and i was like yo you gotta be kidding me i was like yeah that's really really just real scary stuff that says all who enter will die and on this on the wall next to it in the next room was spray painted like joey loves joni loves chachi on the next (laughs) it was the same spray paint i'm like like, "Hmm, i wonder who did this you could have just used (laughs) it was a busy spirit demonic spirit color spray paint to just scare us a little bit more but right that was it well i have um one that is i have a couple actually going back to not only girl scouts and uh when i was a girl scout and then i was girl scout leader and then growing up with my cousins i actually reached out to my cousin the other night and i don't know why we used to do this at my grandparents house but we would all go in the bathroom turn off the lights and use a flashlight Mm -hmm. and we would tell scary stories. So um, (laughs) this is for Tracy, Aaron and Alicia. And we would um, tell the story and the, the story as much as we can remember and where it came from was there was a family that had lived in an old lighthouse and there were two young boys and a mother and father. And he was the lighthouse keeper. And the mother, very young, had passed away, leaving, obviously, a devastated husband and children. And during that time, the boys intermittently started having dreams where they were woken up and they would feel fingers stroking their face, mm-hmm. fingers stroking their face. And they would wake up and they'd be terrified and there'd be nobody there. And they'd go and tell their father and their father would say, you know, it's, it's probably from the trauma of losing your mother, go back to sleep. So one night the boys are sound asleep. And again, they feel these hot, hot fingers like flames licking their face, stroking their skin. And they jump out of bed and they go and get their father. And now they smell smoke. So they all flee from the lighthouse, which is now engulfed in flames. Wow. They were saved and they believed that it was the ghost of the mother just coming to visit and making sure that she still kept her family safe Um, and that she was the one that woke them up so that they were all spared. Oh, I love that. So that was the first one. Um, The next one is a little bit creepier (laughs) and where the, where this originates from, but I don't like dolls. If you know me. And I don't like, and I don't like clowns. Same. (laughs) So the next story is about a babysitter. 
Uh-oh. The babysitter is hired to watch two children for the night. And she's got games and popcorn and all fun things that she's done with the kids. And after she puts the kids to bed, the parents ask, she watches TV in their bedroom upstairs because the children have been having nightmares recently. She puts the kids to bed easily enough and settles in the parents' room to watch TV. But in the corner of the room, there's a very large, creepy clown statue. Nope. It's life-sized. She tries to ignore it, but it's just too creepy. Finally, she calls the kid's father to ask if she can watch TV downstairs instead. And he says, sure, but why? And she says, I'm creeped out a little bit, a little too much by the clown statue in your room. And there's a pause, and he said, Okay, get the children and leave the house. The father says, Why we don't own a statue of a clown? Oh my god, (laughs) oh, I used to worry when I was babies. (laughs) I know, right? Who did it? You'd be playing games with the kids, and like you're making sure every window's locked, every door's locked because we've all seen those movies. Yes. Are you alone in the house? Oh my God. And I babysat for these people that the kid was, he was an ass. I hate to say <laughs> that, but he was really mean. And he, he liked to try to scare me. And he said, oh, he did. And he, and, oh, he was just a mean little boy. Um, and he said, whenever the clock chimes nine o'clock at night, the ghost appears. So his bedtime is like 830. So I think he was just trying to stay up later. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's a big... It, of course, grandfather clock with the big pendulum. And if you guys watch Stranger Things, you know how even creepier that is now. <laughs> and and they had this big dog that it was kind of friendly, but it was a little kind of a strange dog. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching TV, trying to read a book and watch TV. And all of a sudden, I'm watching the hand get closer and closer. And then doesn't the thing start chiming at nine o'clock? I'm counting one at nine. And the dog looks at me and starts growling. It comes out and it bit me in the knee. <laughs> Nine o'clock. I never babysat for them again. <laughs> They're probably putting on so much weird energy that that the dog was like, "I'm gonna bite her. She's the, she's the problem." Oh my god! That was oh my god! That's funny. Crap out of me. So I have mentioned in the past that the house I own and lived in in New York, mm-hmm. and that my kids still live in, always had a spirit in it. So the story with the house was it was the house on the block that was sold over and over again, probably had the most owners on that block. And it was a house built right after World War II when the GIs were coming home, getting married, starting their families. And that's in an area called Colebrook. And actually the original name for that area was called Babytown because people were coming back and starting their families. Mm -hmm. So our house had had, I believe, 17 previous owners. And every once in a while, when I was a newlywed, I would smell cigarette smoke, like in random places in the house, really strong, or I'd be settling into bed and I'd start to smell cologne, men's cologne, very, very strong. And my ex didn't have a lot of belief in this kind of thing initially, (laughs) but then he started to experience it. So one morning, 
he was leaving and I got to sleep and late. I was still working in retail. So he kissed me goodbye and I just dozed back to sleep. And I was woken up because above me, I could hear in his weight room, weights dropping on the floor, three or four weights. And I went, oh, he's got to do that now. I'm sleeping. <laughs> I have one morning to sleep in. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, oh my goodness, it's not him. So I sat up and I looked up at the ceiling and I heard two more heavy weights fall on the floor. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness, somebody is up there. So I, and then I thought maybe it was one of our pets. So I look at the bed and the cats were on the bed and the cats were looking at the ceiling. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so I creeped out of my bed and I creeped up the stairs expecting to find somebody up there or to find the whole like rack, the tower of weights fall over. And there was nothing out of place. Mm. There was nobody up there. In fact, when I got up there, there was a stillness that was actually in itself kind of creepy, that mm. there was no creaking, no nothing, and nothing was out of place. After that, many a time, even as my kids were growing up, that very room always seemed to have activity. So at one point, I think, Michelle, it was before we were going to do a large event for New Year's Eve, you and I, yeah. and, Barb, mm -hmm. and I wanted to smudge the house and smudge myself. So my son was using that room now. So I went upstairs and I'm smudging through. And as soon as I got in the far end of the room, I started to feel real heavy energy, almost like somebody blocking the door yeah. to the bedroom. And I wanted to hurry up and get it done and get out. When I turned around to face the bedroom door to leave, the closet door all of a sudden went poke and vibrated and mm -hmm. swung open, just like, <laughs> and in effect, closed the bedroom door right behind it. Oh, like locking you in. Oh, right, closing me in. So being spiritual as I am, I was like, fuck that shit. And I like, <laughs> <laughs> ran across the room and did the smudging really fast and went out. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, we had different occurrences. We would hear somebody stomping up and down the stairs. And we would actually think it was somebody else in the family. We would hear our names called, mm -hmm. but it might sound like I'm calling to my son or mm -hmm. I would be calling Sarah and then she'd go, what do you want? And I'd go, mommy didn't call you. And she'd go, I just heard you. Mm. So there was a mimic in the house as well. We would hear the person going up and down the stairs. And I made sure on a pretty regular basis that I would quiet it down. And the kids got to the point that they would say, mom, it's really busy in here again. Well, we had a time where I had left and Sarah was home. She was a young teenager and she had woken up and she never knew the story that I had said about the weights. She was downstairs in her bedroom and she heard somebody walking around upstairs above her and she knew she was home alone. Mm. All I can say is that the Rotterdam police were called to come and check the house. And my daughter was hiding in her closet oh. because the activity was so strong. Wow. Speed forward years later, we had one, one episode where my son and I were sitting in the far family room mm -hmm. and we we're watching television. And all of a sudden it sounded like the loudest crash in the kitchen, like almost like a cabinet came off the walls with pots and pans. And he and I both jumped up and even our animals kind of jumped up, like started from the sound. We ran out in the kitchen. There wasn't one 
thing out of place. I mean, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a cup out of place and it was all still intact. And we just kind of looked at each other puzzled like, huh? So speed forward years later, I go to a friend's house over in Niskayuna for a party. And it was a lot of people from our school that had graduated. (laughs) All were invited from the party. So we're sitting there and a young man comes in and I knew at one point his family had lived in the house. Oh, so there the parties going on. There's, you know, everybody's talking, laughing, music going. So I looked at him and I said, so can you tell me about the ghosts in the house? And it was like the, it was like the music and everything stopped. It was like an old time saloon, like, (laughs) (laughs) and he said, why, what are you hearing? And I said, well, you know, we smell cologne, really heavy cologne. We hear somebody walking up and down the stairs and occasionally smelling really strong cigarette smoke and and crashing stuff. And he said, well, when we lived there periodically, my grandmother and grandfather would come and stay at the house. And he said, Thanksgiving Eve, he said he was, he always wore, donned a lot of cologne. And he said, um, and he was a very heavy smoker. Now the grandmother back in the day, probably like the seventies, she was an aura reader. Oh my gosh. Cool. Very unusual for that era, that time. And she would do it through like Orisville shrine, I believe. Hmm. That's really cool. Really interesting. Well, the grandfather on Thanksgiving Eve had died of a heart attack upstairs in that very bedroom. No, that we had all the activity and he was a heavier set guy and he would go up and down the stairs. So I believe his name was Claude, Clyde or Claude. So every once in a while, when he gets a little too noisy, myself or the kids will say, okay, Claude, we hear you. Can you settle down a little Uh bit? And then it stops. But for a while we had music boxes turning on and off randomly Mm. to the point that my daughter gave the one music box away to a girlfriend who lives like up in Fonda Fultonville. And she called me saying, it's turning on again all by itself. That's the creepiest. Creepiest. That's how my kids were raised in a house. Like we actually, another, I, I know I've mes- mentioned it on previous episodes. I would be sitting in the bedroom and all of a sudden I'd start to hear church bells and it was weirdly free floating. Like it would be, I would hear the bells and it would be like right in front of me. And then if I moved, it would start to move and it would move towards like the end of the house. But if you opened up the door outside, there was no bells. Like it wasn't coming from outside in and then it would, you'd get settled down again. And we'd hear the church bells. Weirdly enough, it always seemed to kind of preempt some dramatic change within the household. Really? Kind of like a warning in a sense. Wow. Um, one of the first times that it ever happened um, or that it was like literally the same music. Um, I had stopped my husband at the time and I had stopped at my mother and father's and it was very snowy out. And I think we picked up Nicholas and it was later, maybe we'd gone Christmas shopping and the snow was falling very peaceful outside. And we walked outside and was getting him loaded in the car and we started hearing church bells. And at the same moment, my ex-husband and I looked at each other like, do you hear that? 
And then we started hearing somebody singing Christmas carols walking walking down the road. And when we looked at them, my son said, hurry up and get in the car, hurry up and get in the car. We got in the car and the person was clearly under the influence or had mental health issues, was walking all by themselves and like scream singing Christmas carols. But just prior to that person, like reaching the property, we started hearing these church bells. Hmm. And then after that, it seemed to be a thing that happened in our home quite often. So even now that, you know, I'm living here and my daughter and her boyfriend are living in the house, she will say to me, I heard the church bells. So, you know, like something's going on. And again, you can't figure out where it's coming from. It's not, it's not external of the house. It's within the house, but it moves around. So that that is a personal story. I love that. It's, it's, it's almost kind of like heads up. Yeah. Heads up. Yeah. Um, Juliana, what's the other one you have? I had one, another one called, well, first I wanted to say, I didn't, I don't know the story of Ruth. Was it Ruth Man- Mansion? Whitman. Whitman. Yeah, I, I don't know that story. And I never knew about everything, all that energy and the Shaker oh. colony area. So that was super fascinating. Oh, girl, to you're going to have to do that. a show on that. You should totally I, do a show. That is so cool. Yeah, I bookmarked that. I wrote that down. I was... I was glued to my the edge of my seat while you guys were talking about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever done any do an episode on the shakers. Absolutely. I'll meet you there. We can poke around as long oh, as yeah. you get yeah. too hot out. But <laughs> terrible. But also, um, if you listen to the web sta- uh, uh, the podcast Upstate Unsolved, is that still accessible? It, it's still accessible. I mean, there's nothing, nothing <clears throat> it's, new. It's still in existence. It's just not yeah. new. They only they did two seasons and then okay. It went by the wayside and Phoebe went on her way. So, so you can actually hear all about, um, there's three local wow. uh, cold cases, missing person. Well, actually one is missing person. The other two is two murders um, that were unsolved. Oh, interesting. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah that was fascinating. <laughs> the, love- the other story that I have, the title of it's called The Seventh Barn. Mm-hmm. I had never heard this legend either. So we're going over to Ohio now. So Ooh. there's a wealthy farmer. He owned a lot of land over in Ohio and he built a new barn on his property, every time his wife had a baby, a new barn would go up. And each barn was named after the children. And they had six kids. And the, the wife was expecting the seventh, the story goes. And unfortunately, during childbirth, birth of that seventh child, the wife died, and the unborn child died Mm -hmm. as well. And so, They say that the farmer went insane with grief and he couldn't tend to the farm. He couldn't maintain it. There was, there was no way he was going to be able to um, continue keeping it up. And so the family had no money and the farm started going under and rumor and the, the legend says, the story says that one night, basically in the depths of his madness and despair, the farmer took an ax and he led his children out to the barns and he murdered them one by one. And oh he God. buried each of their bodies in the six barns, the one that the barn that belonged to the kid, each oh child that 
they had been named after. And then the farmer proceeds to go to the seventh barn and that's where he hung himself. So that happens all in one night. And then eventually all of the barns are torn down and the land was sold off except for that seventh barn. The seventh barn stayed and nobody wanted to buy the land because of what had happened there. So it basically it fell into disrepair. It was abandoned. And um, they say that if you go into the barn at night, you can see the ghost of the farmer hanging from the rafters and his body swinging back and forth in the wind, basically dwell, dwelling on his terrible actions, the terrible crime um, for all eternity. And nobody was ever really sure in the legend where the seventh barn was actually located it was always just rumored it was in ohio but then some people started to think they they had talked about a farm it was called the crans farm in cuyahoga valley and um and then there was another farm in northampton that people started trying to really pinpoint where this location was so in so then the story goes that in 1997, a local teacher, um, they claimed that after a lot of research, he'd finally managed to track down the relocation of that infamous seventh barn. And he said that none of the barns had actually even been torn down. The land just had been divided up and sold off and the barns had simply been basically incorporated into neighboring farms. So mm. what they thought was, um, uh, barns that had been torn down just ended up becoming part of something else and nobody was the wiser that it was once this this one farm with these seven barns with it and according to the teacher he was able to pinpoint the correct location because all the barns on the neighboring properties had nameplates above their doors mm. with names of the children engraved on them and so one night the teacher and his son, they set out to visit the barn and they brought a video camera and they were really hoping to capture some paranormal activity. And then after that night happens, the next morning, the teacher's wife reported her husband and son missing and uh -oh. police find the abandoned car by this roadside. And while searching the area, they enter a barn in a nearby field and they found the dead bodies of the teacher and his son. And they were both hanging from the rafters. Oh my God. Just like the farmer. Oh, oh that's Lord. the seventh barn in Ohio. And I had never heard of that. That is Me terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> all right um hope they burn that have, down <laughs> I know. do you um juliana do you have another one i have well just talking about like personal stories it got me thinking about oakwood cemetery so Ooh. i just had a, a i mean there's so many urban legends surrounding that and just a quick little in the spirit of telling personal things that have happened to us around here i in high school, I had to do a photo documentary project for an art class, and we had to pick something, an object or a place to build this, this, this whole presentation around. So I picked the mausoleum at Oakwood, not really knowing much about it, but it, in, it entailed me going there probably three or four, maybe five times. And just two things that happened there that really scared me were, one time I went with three of my best friends one time I went alone well several times I went alone um but one of the times I was alone 
I pulled into the, because the mausoleum isn't the front entrance, it's the side entrance of the cemetery, but there's the, there is a gate, a beautiful gate, and basically there's a little bit of, it, it curves in so you can pull in in front of the gate um, before you actually enter the cemetery and it's gravel there and it's, it's pretty flat, it's just right off the road. And I had a car that always worked and mm. never had any car trouble prior and I pulled in and it died. It just would not start mm. and it refused to start. And <laughs> I started panicking because I was alone and I started feeling very, you know, anxious and I started feeling energy around me mm. and a stranger just drove by me and rolled down their window and they said this happens a lot we're going to push your car out and as soon as it gets to the road it's going to start like as soon as your wheels are off of that dividing line of the cemetery property in the road he said I guarantee you and he said I'll help you and we we pushed my little Honda Civic right onto the road and sure enough it started up Holy and it, cow. it really scared me and then the other thing that happened which to this day just is so wild I, I replay it over and over in my mind is that we were at the mall. I was with my friends this time and we were in the mausoleum. I was taking pictures and we were kind of inside looking at all the graffiti. It's, it's pretty broken. You can see through it and you can clearly see well past it into, you know, the mausoleum's maybe like 400 feet, 500 feet set back from the road. You can see the road from certain parts, but we were so fascinated and in our spooky mindset. And we were kind of just like peeking around and poking around and, um, and then all of a sudden I turned around, like you could see any movement or anything from a pretty far distance, even in your peripheral vision. And I've never seen anything like this, but all of a sudden there were three teenagers, basically halfway between us and the road. Like they just almost appeared out of nowhere. And they were the palest teenagers I've ever seen. Their teeth oh. were rotting out of their heads. Holy and shit. they had the darkest circles around their eyes and they came up smiling very like they were they were dressed kind of like punk and um they just thought it was so cool that we were there and they were like oh like they just came up kind of like as if they didn't skip a beat they just joined the conversation and I remember they got very close to us and I was so scared by their appearance but their attitude kind of offset that and um I was so taken aback and they kind of were just like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? You're interested in the, the ghost stories around here or what do you, and I, and we explained. And then I swear to God, like in the blink of an eye, I turned around and then I turned back and they walked maybe like 10 feet. I turned away and we said our goodbyes. I turned away, I turned back and they were gone. And there was just no way they could have walked. Cause that's pretty open. There's not a lot of trees between the road and they started to walk back towards the road and and I caught myself because there's three three of my friends. Oh, look at this. We're poking around. And I caught, I had to do a double take and say, wait, where did they go? <laughs> I said, oh, okay, they're gone. And then I said, well, but where, where did they go? And that really, really fascinated me. But their appearance is what stuck with me. I've never seen anybody so, um, yeah, just in, in, in rough shape dead looking so that that really <laughs> creeped me out when I was doing that project I ended up just ditching that and doing a whole a whole other place <laughs> I, I couldn't do it I got too scared now Joanna, <laughs> I didn't know there two, there's two entrances because I always en mm -hmm. enter in from Oakwood Ave across from St. Peter's is that the one yeah. you're talking about 
No, this one is a side entrance and you can see the mausoleum from it. And it's a little wrought iron gate. I forget, I forget the name of the road that it's off of, but it's very residential. There's nothing around there. It's kind of like tucked into this backside area. Oh, I, is, is it the Kemp mausoleum? I'm looking at Yes, yeah, I believe so. Maps. Yeah, Ooh. that was fascinating. You, you just know that she's going to be over there later <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> That's where I'm around. going. You can see the wheels turning, and Michelle, she's like, like clicking on her computer and doing some side checking there. Yeah, I've already got it up on Google Maps. God bless. <laughs> hey, Dennis, you want to go, Juliana? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, um, Dee, do you have another one? I do not. Do you, Michelle, do you have another? I have a a quick one. Okay, um, and then I have two to round it up. Okay, I I have a personal experience when I lived in since we're over in Troy now. <laughs> um, I the first house I owned with my ex husband was built in 1899 on Hawthorne Avenue in Troy, and uh, you know I felt energies there when I moved in, but it's just kind of like, I come in peace. That's before I was doing any clearing work. I come in peace. And um, my experience, uh, and I think I've told the story before, I learned how to do clearing work because of Oakwood Cemetery. Oh. Mm. Oh, I decided that it was a good idea to take my little three-year-old to learn to ride his tricycle over in Oakwood Cemetery because there wouldn't be a lot of traffic. So I pop them in the car, we drive in, and, you know, I pull in from Oakwood Ave, like across from St. Peter's Cemetery, pull in, and we chug on through, and I'm looking for a place, oh, this looks nice, we'll pull off, get the tricycle out, pop Jack out of the car, out of his car, so you put him on the tricycle, and the way he's going, little, he was the skinniest kid, so his tiny little spaghetti legs are pedaling, well, doesn't he hit a pothole? We're right in, like, the Civil War soldier area, because, of course, I think that's interesting. It's probably not the best of ideas with a child, so he crashes, scrapes his knee, <clears throat> he cries. He starts to cry like in a big wailing cry. And I looked and I said, oh my gosh, he spilled blood in a cemetery. I crossed myself and I crossed him. Um, I just felt a strong urge to do that. Well, immediately I felt the, you know, the old familiar cone of silence drop over us. Suddenly there are no sounds around us. All the animal sounds, car traffic sounds gone. And I feel oppressive. And Jack just starts to cry harder, buries his head into my, into my neck. I'm like, okay, that's it. Throw the bicycle in with one hand, pop him in, and we're out of there. I, you know, he stops crying. I, we stop at Stewart's and get him an ice cream and everything. We're good to go. I go home, fix his boo-boo. That night, you know, the cat was acting weird. You know, getting, she's a, she was a fat cat. Somehow she got flat. And she was like running flatly around the house, like, you know, getting a squish down and as she could. Oh. So then I went to, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, to my own, I don't want to do, I didn't know how to do clearing work yet. So I'm like, well, you know, I'll just go to bed, whatever. So I fall asleep, wake up from a deep sleep, three o'clock in the morning. And who's next to me, but a civil war soldier standing oh. over me, <laughs> looking down at me. And I go, Ooh, <laughs> The surprise, he steps back and he is, you know, fair, like he's in like technicolor, very bright. I see that he's a, you know, a union soldier. I see the blues and I can see through him because I can see, this is the weird thing. I could see him from the front. I could see through him where there was my mirror and in my mirror, I could see the back of him. So 
it was just a, a weird thing. So I'm just like, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. And I, and I finally, finally said, can I help you? <laughs> this is the dumbest <laughs> thing you say to a ghost. And then he just kind of looked at me. It's almost like he was looking through me. I felt like I was falling into his eyes, like the abyss. And then he disappeared and I woke up. Full, I mean, I was awake, but then I kind of was like scared. Wow. And that actually set me on my journey of doing clearing work because I felt from him that he wanted help. And the words wow. that came out of my mouth are, can I help you? Well, it turns out, yes, I can. So, and then I started to learn to do clearing work. And then the ghosts that were living in my house started to appear. Like I was brushing my teeth one night. I had mentioned to my ex-husband, I'm going to help the old man who passed away in the room where the boys are now sleeping, which is why they don't sleep well at night. I'm going to help him cross over. I'm brushing my teeth in the sink and I look and out of the corner of my eye, I can see a tall, skinny old man with gray hair. He's in his best suit, but he died of probably cancer because he had wasted away. And he's saying, no, no, waving his hands in front of his face. Like, don't do it. He didn't know what I was going to do to him. And I said, no, it's, I'm going to help you find your family. So um, that was my very first clearing and it came from Oakwood Cemetery. So if any, anyone out there wants to have some, ex, you know, exciting experiences, get your, your ghost app. What's, which one do we use? Which one do we use? Spirit Talk. We use the Spirit Talk Spirit one. Talk. Yeah. Cause I was just trying to find it that, and you'll find some interesting things happening. And in get some Cemetery. communication. Yeah. All right. I am going to finish up with two classic campfire scary stories. The first is a young woman is driving home late one night when she notices a truck driving up directly behind her. No one else is on the road. She waits for the truck to pass her, but instead it stays directly behind her, right on her bumper. And every once in a while it flashes the high beams on her. Mm. She's becoming very unsettled. Now, this is, she's trying to drive faster. No matter how fast she drives, this truck stays very close behind her and keeps flashing his lights as she travels down the road. Terrified, she speeds home with the truck still right on her tail and pulls in quickly to her driveway. She leaps out of the car and tries to run for her front door, but the truck driver gets out too, and he's holding a gun. He points the gun in her direction and shoots, and the woman screams, but the bullet wasn't for her. He points the gun in her direction, and she turns to see the body of a man fall out of the back seat of her car, <gasps> clutching a butcher knife. The shaken truck driver explains that he noticed the man slip into the back seat of her car before she got in and was trying to signal her every time by flashing his high beams whenever the man raised his butcher knife. Oh my God. I've never heard that one. You never heard that one? That's never heard one. that one. I and you know that that has to be based on some urban oh, legend. Yeah. Oh. I know. And the scary right. thing about that is it's so possible. Yeah. Exactly. And why you check your back seat and underneath your car. I don't want to by yourself. Always. Um, okay. And the last one. A pair of young teenagers. Let's set the stage for 1984. Get in their car and travel out to Makeout Point or Lover's Lane. <laughs> an isolated spot in town. 
and the boyfriend switches on the radio for some mood music, probably Journey. (laughs) And they start to neck, make out, canoodle. But just as things are getting hot and heavy, they're interrupted by a story of a breaking news. A murderer has escaped from the nearby state asylum. He's armed and dangerous, and he has a hook in the place of his right hand. Mm. The girlfriend is obviously frightened, and she says immediately, I want to go straight home. And the boyfriend insists, we'll be fine. He locks all the car doors, and he tries to settle in again and make out with her. And she calmly explains, no means no. Mm -hmm. And she wants to go home. She's scared. Well annoyed, the boyfriend says, fine, and slams the car into gear, puts the gas on the pedal, and drives her back home. It's only when they both get out of the car that he notices something dangling from the door handle. And it's a bloody steel hook. (laughs) Now you know where I get that in my Irish family, how we all would tell stories sitting around. I hope our listeners enjoyed this. Um, I'm sure we'll do it again. And I hope everybody is enjoying their summer, their families, whether you're having a staycation, vacation, you're in the north or in the south. Um, Enjoy your time right now um, before everybody heads back to school. And I am very appreciated, appreciative that Juliana, you made time today to, to sit in with us. We can't wait to have you back again. Thank you so um, much for, thank you. for having and me. That was fun. So many goosebumps were had. And as always, thank you to Michelle Lyons Polito for being my wonderful friend and sidekick and psychic medium. Yeah. Um, and thank you, D Scott, again for today, always being a wonderful producer. Thank you. Um, how can people get a hold of you, Juliana? Yeah, so or find your can, podcast. Yeah, my Instagram handle is Haunted Five One Eight Podcast, and you can DM me, and then um, also you can reach me via email. That's always really great at the Haunted Five One Eight at gmail.com. And like I always say, I created it as a platform for people to tell their story. So that is my favorite part of mm. of of what I do. I've learned a lot about the area, but I, I just love hearing people's experiences. So please reach out and via email or DM. I, I would love to hear from you. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for sharing, subscribing, liking us, and keep sending us in your suggestions. We love it. And we love to get stopped out in public where people recognize our voices and and want to know when the next podcast is going to be. So thank you all again. And, you know, for the summer, keep it creepy. When some people pass away, they don't reach the heaven that they've prayed. Bitter about the fallacy their afterlife turned out to be. They bitch and moan and hide your keys or talk to psychics on TV. They just groan and shake their chains when I say my baby's on the physical plane. When I died upon that cold, cold night, made a promise to leave her sight. Now she knows that there's nothing to fear. Can't you see we got a good thing here? Run my fingers through her hair. She turns around and 
Try to comfort me with flatter 